The first time he sees her, she's getting into his brother's car. He's sitting in the back seat, and she gets into the front, closing the passenger door behind her. Then she notices him. She cranes around, eyebrows raised, and then turns back to Declan and says, Who's this? In Color and Light by Sally Rooney. A young man who works at a hotel gets sort of entangled with a mysterious woman who may or may not be seeing his brother. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. Welcome to Short Story ASMR Podcast. I am Christopher J. Garcia, a.k.a. the Joan Didion of this bedroom. And today I'm here with... Peppy Longstocking. (laughs) I wasn't quite able to pull off the high pitch there, was I? I'm too old for that. (laughs) (laughs) And too allergy ridden. (laughs) <laughs> just like me for tiktok um <laughs> <laughs> yes so good to be back the weather is being bipolar the cats are being snuggly and the coffee is being in the other room which is making me angry hey what sort of story would make me less angry i just want to make sure because you're not on camera that i am that you can see that i have coffee and I'm gonna, gonna go ahead and just rub that in there. There you go. See, see, coffee. Uh, we would read after I finish uh, bragging about the fact that I have coffee. We would read the story "Color and Light" by Sally Rooney, another O. Henry Prize winner. Well, Christy, if the goal was to make me less angry, this is not the story to go with. Um. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, where to start with this one? I'm gonna let you take care of that. So, I'm going to digress for a minute. Uh, I went to a pseudo-prestigious East Coast college that uh, happened to be neighboring another college called Harvard. And I used to occasionally sit in on on classes there. And at one point, a relatively well-known professor uh, was doing an actually an open lecture. And there were about 400 people in the class. And we, a bunch of us came to visit and see this relative, I would argue one of the finest writers of short fiction uh, left, who I am not naming on purpose because though they are dead, I will be condemned for doing so. And someone asked the question of when you are writing a story and you want to make an impact with the audience, what is the most important thing? And sort of stopped for a minute, looked at, as I recall, looked at, his shoes for about 30 seconds and looked up and said, well, you've got to sell it. And then went on about the business. Hmm. This story somehow has made me realize you have to do a little more than just selling it. (laughs) Agreed. Yes, that is very true. I'm just going to, you can go ahead and and talk for the rest of the the short period of time that we're recording, because I'm just going to be in my head compiling a list of dead short story writers from uh, who were alive about the time you might have been in college, if I <laughs> if I can math that correctly. So I'll just be over here, um, mathing and compiling. 
but you know, <laughs> for, for serious, in all seriousness, um, I think the story has its, I think it has a point to it. And okay. I, I, I will stand behind that. Uh, I kind of feel that it's a good point. I do feel that it's a good point. It's a subversion of a trope in a way. I feel like, and I'm just going to lay this out here, even though this is like at the end of my notes and kind of like was wrapped up by the the ending or lack thereof. (laughs) I feel like this is a refutation of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Okay, I can give you that. And maybe it's just the argument that I just hate the Manic Pixie Dream Girl asterisk except for Zoe Deschanel. (laughs) See, I hate it except uh, Natalie Portman. Okay, fair enough. And... I'm what happened here in this story was a whole lot of I really don't care what's going on in the characters' lives <laughs> because it seems like the characters don't care what's going on in their lives. Yeah, and that's the thing. Okay, thank you very much. That's a very good point because the idea of the manic pixie dream girl is she's supposed to be this quirky, kooky, doe-eyed brunette. <laughs> You know, who comes into the protagonist, the male protagonist's life when he needs it the most and turns it around and shows him to be how to be spontaneous and quirky and just, you know, just weird enough that people give you sideways glances, but not weird enough that they put you away. And so you have this this concept. And I think I keep on wanting to call her Vivian, our main uh, female. I know it's Pauline. (laughs) <laughs> but I keep on wanting to call her Vivian because I feel like she, in my ma- mind, has elements of uh, Julia Roberts and Pretty Women. Woman. It was just one woman. Just the singular. Um, <laughs> pretty Women pretty is the... the women. <laughs> yep. Pretty, or Pretty Women, which is the porn version of Pretty Woman. Um, so, but yeah. So I think Pauline, she's a slightly more grown up than the usual Manic Pixie Dream Girl that we get. But there's this idea that she's supposed to change his life. Well, now she's walked into Aiden's life and he's just kind of like waiting for her to change it. And she's not. She's just kind of like answering all of his questions with a question in a way. And then she leaves his life and his life is unchanged because he said that when he was like a teenager, at one point he thought, you know, okay, my life is about to begin. Things are going to start happening now. But he's the kind of person that things happen to. He's not the kind of person that makes things happen. And that's the thing is you need to be a person, whether there's a manic pixie dream girl in your life or not, you need to be a person who makes things happen and not a person who things happen to. Otherwise, you're just going to be doing the same exact thing for the rest of your life that you don't even care about. It's fine to do the same thing for the rest of your life if you love it. But if you don't care about it, that's a problem. I was about to say that's a very, very deep condemnation of your co-host. You do all the things, Christopher J. Garcia. I think one of the reasons why this story legitimately made me, like, I bounced off it hard. And I think one of the reasons is every character in it feels like they're just sort of jellyfishing around. But at the same time, there's no sort of, you don't get any quotation marks. Yep, yep, yep. Which, you know... Soroyan pulls it off, but not so much here. Because one of the reasons why is because Soroyan works are so full of passion that he he's putting you in it. 
in this world that is full of inflicting joy, I guess. He is he inflicts optimism on people. Here we are having, I don't want to say we are having Gen X apathy inflicted on us. Because <laughs> that is a wide condemnation of my own life. Uh, but <laughs> I think it is there is less passion for anything, even for for Pauline, and Vivian is the right name for her, you're right. <laughs> that there's no, there's nothing to latch onto to keep you going through the non-standard writing. I mean, even something like uh, Girl that we did a couple weeks ago, where it also does take some liberties with how, um, with how you're doing, although technically a grammatically correct sentence. This doesn't give you that sort of thing to latch onto to keep you going through that. In a way, you dove into Dear Greta Garbo or Girl. Here, you kind of suffer through. Yeah, I mean, I... <sighs> I felt that, that apathy as I was reading this story. I felt that that lack of forward motion from really any of the characters, that that wall being built up to keep us from getting to know them was a barrier to, to well, to buying it. Uh, you said that that writer that shall not be named, that you're definitely going to tell me about when we get off the air, said you got to sell it. Well, one of the, the, the first things we did in grad school with our first stories that we wrote was when we were critiquing them, our professor asked everybody in the room, you know, everybody who would critique your story, did you buy in? Did you buy in? Did you buy in? And I just had, because of that inability to get anywhere near the characters and that feeling that there was nothing really propelling anything here. And when something did happen, I was never entirely sure why. And it seemed like the characters were on the same level there. Uh, like, for instance, when Aiden and... Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep on calling her Vivian. <laughs> when Aiden and Vivian... Uh, had that little argument and he kind of storms off, but he's like, I don't know why that happened. And she doesn't have any insight. He can't even, she's a closed book, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that, that those are barriers being put up and they might be putting up, be putting up, they might be put up by the author for a sort of you know any sort of storytelling reason to create that distance maybe between reader and character but it was less effective for me than I wanted it to be I think it can be really effective for some people and then I also wanted to speak on the choice not to use the quotation marks in a way I think it works for this story because these characters are just very like you said they're apathetic they're just kind of floaty they're not really doing anything. They're not really super trying. Everything's just kind of happening to them. And it almost feels like, at first I was thrown off by the lack of quotation marks, but then as I read, I was like, no, I think quotation marks would actually be too structured for this. And I was reminded of the sort of staccato dialogue of uh, Hemingway's Hills Like White Elephants, mm. which we haven't hit because um, I, I We'll just leave that for every single uh, creative writing and, and American late class to handle. They can they can take care of that. Um, yeah, <laughs> but that would still help with SEO. <laughs> that is true. You're not wrong. Okay, next we're doing hills like white elephants. <laughs> oh, so yeah, I just feel like 
for the lack of structure in their lives, almost the lack of structure in some of the writing choices is almost a reflection of that in a sort of meta postmodernist kind of way. Hmm. I'll, I'll go in another direction, actually. I think this would have worked better with quotation marks, but leaving off the says. So, no, so no tags, no dialogue tags. I can, yeah, I can see that. But when you have these, when you have three people, that's going to give the brain that like you can only leave off the dialogue tag when it's absolutely certain who is speaking. And so, you know, once you establish, if there's two people, once you establish that they're having a back and forth and there's nobody else involved, you can start laying off the dialogue tags because you don't need to name them. And in a perfect world, your characters will be distinct enough and have voices that are distinct enough that the writer is really good that we won't need to ask. We'll just know by their voice. But when you have these three people, and especially when the, the dialogue starts in the beginning, it's a short story. We don't really have a whole lot of time to get to know them. I don't know if that would be possible in, in those cases. Maybe in cases where it's a back and forth between two people, but not when it's more than two. I agree. And go slightly in a different direction, though. Sure. Very little of the dialogue here needs the tag because of the ambiguity of the situations that they are hey. talking about. Yeah, there you go. You're making a good argument. I know I am. because we'll, we'll get you that speech and debate trophy any week now. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> Thanks. Um, <laughs> um, and let me say, I did suffer through a lot of this to the ending. Um, where I am fairly certain it was the ending because there's no more story after it. Um, <laughs> That's the only indication we get, though. <gasps> yeah, and I think that is one of the biggest things that I took away as a writer writing like this. Either A, has to give you the greatest grant, literally the heat death of the universe has to has to happen to justify everything that happens before that or you just have to smash cut to black in the middle of anything sopranos it yeah and i do think that what we see as the ending the interaction between Lin lydia and aiden and how it all sort of comes together in a way is an ending yeah but at the same time, it's an ending without a meaning. And that, oh, I'm sorry, Euro. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't find there to be, this isn't telling me anything about these characters. There's no arc, which usually is okay with me. You know, it's just, everyone's at the same place they were when they began, except for yeah. Vivian's uh, 100 Euro lighter. Um but I don't see, not only do I not see change or growth, I don't see value. Like one thing I've always sort of internalized is when your characters are 20 years older, they would want to tell this story when they're drinking with friends. Sure. This is not a story that any of them, with the possible exception of Lydia, um, <laughs> would tell <laughs> to friends 20 years down the line. It's just yeah. a bunch of stuff that happens. Yeah, because they're, they're, yes, you would get to a point where everybody you're taught around the bar or whatever would be like, okay, what's the point? Where, where was this even going? 
and there there is there is no unfortunately there is no point except i think the point almost that is almost the point if i'm reading this right and i don't know if authorial intentions mean a whole lot to us or not but if i'm reading this right it is this idea that some people just don't change and it doesn't matter if they have these brushes with people who might help them change if they're just going to sit by and keep on doing the exact same thing that they were doing after you know after the person leaves as they were before hi okay that that has value <laughs> okay all right that's that's an interesting way of saying things i i don't know how to feel about it <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a very good point um much better point than the story makes it all. Uh. <laughs> I think that's the point, though. I think that's the point <laughs> the story is making. It may not be perhaps as effective as we'd wish, but nothing. We're all going to shoot a little left of the mark every once in a while, you know? That's true. I yes. mean, or if you're me, you'll just shoot like like all the way into the trees, like far, far, far beyond the target because I just have really bad vision or am, uh, am bad at metaphors. I am like a god at metaphors and <laughs> oh wait that's not a metaphor that's a homily um but that's i think a simile agree to disagree <laughs> oh <laughs> i'm so tired is it the weekend yet <laughs> is it i don't even know anymore <laughs> it must not be i had to feed the fish uh oh. so... I think this story is, I think this is a divisive type of story. And I think yeah. readers, what they bring to it is going to determine whether or not it is a story that they can connect to or not. And I almost think those that can more identify themselves with these characters are actually going to bounce off it harder. I think careful readers are going to be rewarded by some of the nuance to it. There is, there is definitely no question there is nuance here that you kind of have to read through. But I do think for me, it just, this is one of those angry stories. Ooh, angry. <laughs> now, do you mean the story is angry or do you mean that it makes you angry? Can't both be true? I suppose. <laughs> we'll allow it. Yes, I think this story is just yelling at all the other stories. Stop having so much stuff happen. Um, <laughs> yeah, got anything else on this one, Christy? Um, I am pretty sure that that is about all I had to say on this one. I did, I did feel like I I picked up probably more than than you did because I think you had a you, you had it out for the story from the beginning, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, it's, it's kind of, I mean, it won the O. Henry prize. So who am I to judge? <laughs> Obviously not a juror for the O. Henry prize. <laughs> Yet. Yeah, good point. Very good point. Hey, Christy. Uh, Pippi says what? <laughs> uh, Dama de long stockings. <laughs> <laughs> Did we decide what we were going to read next week? You know, I think we kind of decided it um, during this recording session. We're going to read Hills Like White Friggin' Elephants, Baby by Ernest Hemingway. Nice. Oh, 
I have are going so to many jokes be, ready for this one. <laughs> we are going to be the English professors that we didn't get to be because there were museums and to archive and podcasts to make. And as we stated in the previous episodes, it actually, the pay is horrible and no benefits. So um, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to adjunct all over this baby. Um. <laughs> wow. You made that sound dirty. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well then I guess there's only one way to close this one. This has been short story. Short podcast <laughs> it was <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs>